morning again. I wanted to read a little bit of scripture as we start this morning, start the message, because we always want this to be about God's word, not our words. So um, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians and his thoughts and prayers and hopes for them as they grow in uh, wisdom and knowledge and growing to know God better. And it's a great prayer for us as well. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. God is amazing, and God is with us here today. So if I can find my way through all this stuff here, I will have a seat and... We can jump right into your questions. We got a nice big pile. I don't know if we'll be able to get through all of them or not, but we're going to do our best. So, Bill, <laughs> what was the most exciting moment at General Conference? Tell us what you've been up to the last two weeks. I've been away. I've been, is my mic on? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. It's really nice to see you. Um, many of you, yes, thank you. Many of you have been uh, praying for me for... Uh, two weeks or so, and I'm really, really grateful for it. I, have, I felt those prayers very much. I, fa- I failed to say that to the last congregation, so the last uh, service. So if um, you see somebody out there and they say, Pastor Bill didn't, you could say, no, he did say it. He just forgot. He's really sleep deprived because it feels like it's about seven in the morning for me right now. So um, I um, uh, probably the best moment, I, I was at General Conference of the United Methodist Church. It's long and complicated. It was a very, I will have a time when I talk about it sometime. Um, we'll, we'll create that time for people who have questions. Um, I essentially, I was a representative. I was the head of the delegation from Upper New York Conference. And um, God used me in a lot of great ways. Some of them were very obvious and some of them were uh, very subtle uh, but I would say much good came out of this conference, and I would say that the best moment was when the uh, a whole bunch of African delegations just broke into spontaneous song after a really tense time of uh, voting and, and uh, praying about some challenging issues, and they just started, uh, this one group, I think it was from the Congo, started to sing, and then all the other Africans knew that song, and they just all started 
they jumped up and they were uh, dancing and clapping and singing. And it was just this wave of, whoo, we needed that uh, just to praise God in the middle of the moment of the tenseness. So um, many good stories, but that was probably the best moment of all was uh, just seeing uh, the faith of the Africans, uh, which is carrying this church in many ways and for which I'm very grateful. So, yeah. All right. It's a good one for the top of the pile. What is an Ebenezer? As in, <laughs> here I raise my Ebenezer. How many of you had that question as we were singing along, right? When we hear Ebenezer, we just think Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And what could that possibly have to do with this song? It has nothing to do with Ebenezer Scrooge, but that name Ebenezer is a revered old name from the Old Testament. And I forget which book. Judge Joshua, 1 Samuel? I, I don't remember. know. <laughs> anyway, the Israelites are traveling uh, into the promised land, and at one point they stop and uh, make uh, some sacrifices to God, worship God, and God tells them, set up a stone of remembrance to say, God has been faithful to us this far. And Oz also of a way of saying God will continue to be faithful to us in the future. And with the Hebrew word for stone of remembrance, it comes out as Ebenezer. So an Ebenezer stone is a, a, a thing that we sort of place, not necessarily physically, but at least in our minds and our hearts, and we say, thank you, God. You have been faithful to me this far, and I know you won't leave me in the future. You want to take the next one? Um, how can you hear, I can't read that. Our, Our Father, give us give the us, answer we, we need, need when, when we, we pray. pray. Does he speak to you? Do you feel a push? Also, um, how does one determine if they're on the right path? So we put those two together because they seem sort of like um, guidance questions. Um, partly when... We're praying, when, when I'm praying, um, sometimes God makes um, an idea just really pop into my mind, and I, and I had not thought of that idea before, and it very much uh, is applicable to the situation. Um, but that needs to be tested. Is it, if you compare it to Scripture, is there anything anti-Scripture in that idea? Um, and, and sometimes it needs to be uh, reconfirmed with uh, other, um, other reassurances. Um, when, we were, um, when we felt called by God to come here to Bemis, um, there were multiple reassurances. Sometimes they were things that people said to us. Sometimes they were um, ideas that we uh, just popped off the page in Scripture. Um, so in this whole idea, in a sense of, uh, how do you know? Uh, let me. It's kind of like um, if you've ever had somebody who calls you on the phone and they're so familiar with you that they don't say their name. My mother-in-law does this to me. She just <laughs> says, hello, and I'm supposed to know that it's my mother-in-law, right? Okay, so now I know it because I know her voice uh, so well. But, you know, at first it used to take me off guard. And I was like, hi, you know, who's this? And um, if you... If you pray and you listen, you begin to know God's voice. And you can begin to distinguish that from 
your own selfish voice or um, uh, any other, you know, negative influence that might be there um, or, you know, sometimes your own self-critical voice. Uh, so I, I would say that sometimes it's in, internal that sense, sometimes it's confirmed by scripture, sometimes it's another Christian coming through. I hope that that answers that question. Can I jump in yeah. a little too? Um, John Wesley, who started this Wesleyan Methodist stream of Christianity that we're in, had a, sort of a grid that he developed to help us think through that question. I talked about this in a message maybe a couple months ago. We call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and it's four things that we can use to help know how God is guiding us. So the first thing is scripture. We always want to test our thoughts and our ideas against scripture and see if they're consistent with what God is teaching us there. And that's always the primary thing. But there's also um, experience. What have Christians experienced uh, across, um, uh, around this issue? How has God moved in their lives or in my life um, around this issue? Scripture, experience, um, reason, like what is logical? What, what can I use my, my mind to figure out? And then finally, um, tradition. What have Christians all through the ages thought and done uh, around this issue? So we can use those four things to help understand how and where God is guiding us. Good. So the next one is, where did Christianity come from? Who started it? And why aren't we all Jewish like Jesus was? I love that question. Great question. Yeah. Um, uh, this is why it's so great to have the scriptures that, that tell us that story, that start us out right from creation with Adam and Eve, and then just lead us right up through the whole story. Um, if you read the book of Acts, that, that's where it really explains that transition from um, a Jewish faith to a Christian faith. What happened in a nutshell was that, of course, Jesus was a Jew, as the question here notes, and his first followers were all Jews. And uh, after he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, those first believers were in Jerusalem and they were sharing the, the, the news about salvation through Jesus Christ with everybody who was there in Jerusalem, after a little while, um, it started to spread. And it started to spread to people who weren't Jews. And um, after a while, the Christians got kicked out of Jerusalem because of persecution, and they had to go to far-flung places where there weren't very many Jews, and they started sharing the good news with non-Jews. And so then the church had kind of a crisis on its hands. Does everybody need to become Jewish to be a follower of Jesus? Or can Gentiles or non-Jews also follow Jesus without taking on a Jewish identity? Is it all wrapped up together? And they really had to wrestle with that. If you read Acts chapter 15, that's where the church really came together and said, we, we have to figure this out. And what they, through prayer and discernment, through really using those four things I just talked about, um, decided that no, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you did not have to take on the whole Jewish faith. And that really opened the door for 
most of us, because probably not too many of us have Jewish roots, um, open the door for the whole world to become followers of Jesus. So read the book of Acts. That's a very um, exciting answer to that question. And who started it? I'd say God. Okay, that was the easy answer. All right. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Um, great question. No, I, 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 baptism is not, in a sense, a requirement for salvation. Um, however, it is the sign that the church has been given by God as um, the, the, a, a, a sacramental act in which God will act upon you in a powerful way in that moment of baptism. Um, I like to think about it like getting a tattoo. It's a, in fact, I had a friend who was a Christian from Egypt. He was part of the Coptic church. And uh, when he was a very young boy, his parents had a tattoo um, of a cross put right onto his right wrist here. Now, in a 97% Muslim country, whenever he reached out his hand to do business with somebody, the cross would appear, even if his sleeve, you know, was there. It would pull back. And he was marked as a Christian from a very early age. Um, baptism is uh, sort of the sign of uh, initiation into the body of Christ. If you are a person who has not received that blessing and received that sign, that does not mean that you cannot have relationship with God. I would say that, that you are, in a sense, missing some of the blessing that God has. But, um, uh, and, and if you um, uh, become a Christian, there's kind of a, you know, you'd say, why wouldn't you get baptized? Um, um, and yet, uh, I don't think it's, uh, the Bible doesn't teach, uh, I don't, yeah, I, you, can, you can have accepted Christ and, and, you know, get and die or something. You know, people are in car accidents and, ex and cry out to the Lord, and I think the Lord hears them, and they're not baptized. That doesn't preclude you from having salvation. So. How can there be no sorrow in heaven if loved ones do not accept the gift of Christ and spend eternity separated from God? So I think that's asking if you are in heaven but some of your loved ones are not there, how can you not feel sad about that? Um, God, in his mercy, somehow knows uh, how, to, how to make heaven, which is being with him, being fully in his presence, completely fill all the space in our lives, in our souls, in that whole realm. If, if God were to allow us to continue to be sad in heaven about anything, then that would continue to allow evil to have power over good. And, and heaven is by definition where, where evil has no power over good, where good completely wins out. There's a really interesting book by C.S. Lewis. He's the one who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, wrote a lot of good theology books as well. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which uh, I highly recommend. It's not about divorce. It's about the divide, the great divide between heaven and hell. And it's fiction, but it's very, um, a very thought-provoking 
uh, a treatment of what heaven will be like, and he specifically addresses this question of um, how can we not carry the sorrow of those who aren't with us in heaven when we're there, and how that makes sense. So I recommend that book to you, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And I think simply being in the presence of God, it, when we are in the presence of God, we will in many ways forget the, the I don't think that we will completely forget who we are because uh, the, the Bible indicates that Jesus was recognizable in his glorified state and that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. We also who are uh, followers of Christ will be raised and will receive these glorified bodies. Uh, so you will be recognizable, although um, uh, theologians got into big arguments as to, you know, how old will you be? You know, will you be, if you died at 95, will you be back to 21? Or, you know, how will that work? Will you lose all your weight or, you know, regain all your weight? You know, what if you're a child who dies? Will you be mature? Um, some medieval theologians came up with the idea that everybody will be 33 because that's the age Jesus was when he died on the cross. Um, we don't know. But I believe that being in the presence of God itself will, will overwhelm all sorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, this is an easy one. Um, <laughs> what is the, uh, what is the uh, state of the United Methodist position on homosexuality? That's simple. No, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm tired enough that my filter is off. Um, <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> filter. <laughs> um, uh, and let me just read you the other ones that we got around this too. Um, uh, we, I know about love the sinner, hate the sin. What does the, what God's word really say about homosexuality? Like which verses in scripture specifically can be referenced um, what changes were made to the Book of Discipline and uh, what do they mean for um, independence of the local church around those issues? Um, <clears throat> no changes were made to the Book of Discipline around human sexuality issues. Just that's one of, in, in my opinion, one of the positive elements of, um, <coughs> of uh, coming out of General Conference. Um, I believe that the United Methodist view uh, on homosexuality is incredibly biblical. It is very, very sensitive to the, the sensitive nature of this, this question. Um, it states very clearly, and I'll get to the Bible verses uh, in a moment, but it states very clearly, all of us are made in the image of God. All of us are precious. All are respected. All need to be loved. All need to be welcomed um, into, uh, into fellowship, into relationship with God. Uh, there is no one here who is without sin. We are all broken, sinful people who come to relationship with God. And what happens when we come is that Christ says, welcome. And then in his grace, he not only justifies us, makes us right with God, but then he begins to sanctify us. He says, I love you so much, I will not leave you the way you are, but I will work on you. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you know how God works on you. He just annoys you about certain elements that you would like to keep, you know, off in kind of the back room over here. And he's kind of like, what's behind that door? Huh? What's behind that door? And after a while, um, he, he works on us and... and um, uh, I would say that in, in the same way 
that we would call um, many sins something that we're resisting God on. I would put homosexuality into that same category. I would put the, yes, thank you, (laughs) the practice of homosexuality. Not, you cannot control the feelings that you have. If you are a heterosexual and you have strong feelings towards another person of the opposite sex, you can't just say, oh, I don't feel that. Oh, I don't find them attractive. No, you do feel it, and you do find them attractive. You, the same for a person who has homosexual feelings. They can't just say, I don't find that person attractive. But that, the question is, what do you do with that? If you're a married person, then you are in, married in a heterosexual relationship, and you see somebody else who's attractive to you, the fact that you find them attractive is not sinful. If you go over there and start flirting with them and move into a relationship with them, that is sinful, okay? So there's not, in, in, in this sense, sin is sin. It's like a balloon. If you want to pop the balloon, it doesn't matter where on the balloon you want to pop it, around homosexuality, around heterosexuality, around any, any place, as long as you're popping the balloon, you're still popping the balloon, okay? So if you're a, a, a person who lies, if you have temper issues, if you, whatever your issue, you're popping the balloon each time, okay? So we are all in that same boat. Now, here's, here's the deal. Our culture is very strongly advocating that um, homosexual practice be, be um, um, accepted. accepted. Um, but the Bible is clear um, that it, it's not good. Uh, I'm just going to give you one verse out of Romans chapter 1. Um, find it here real quick. At the end of uh, Romans chapter 1, I'll read you a few verses here. <clears throat> All right. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So that's an example of a text. There's probably about uh, nine texts throughout uh, uh, the Bible uh, in which homosexuality is condemned. Now, people will say, um, isn't there, um, is, you know, uh, I hear several things. Jesus never talked about homosexuality. You're right, he didn't. But he talked about faithfulness within the context of marriage between a man and a woman alone. And you have to remember, in this culture, they would not talk about homosexuality because it was so obvious to them it was a sin. It was, it's like the Bible never says anything about bank robbery. Okay, it doesn't, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't say uh, anything about a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that those things are, aren't still wrong, okay? Um, um, so the, the stance of the Methodist church is everyone is loved, But the practice of homosexuality, just like the practice of heterosexuality outside of the bounds of marriage and the practice of many other things, um, uh, is is wrong and is not healthy for a person. Now, you might be like, well, why isn't it? 
And that's a great discussion. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll, we'll try to hit on that in the future. Um, but, I, but in a sense, it is not, and you will often hear it say, uh, you know, the Methodist Church hates homosexuals. Absolutely not. What I would say to you if you're a homosexual person is, uh, I, I love you. We, we love you enough to say that God's will for your, God's best for your life is something that is not uh, what necessarily you want to do, but which uh, will ultimately be best for you. I mean, I want to do a lot of things which are negative. You know, if somebody you know, uh, mistreats me, I want to chew them out. I want to tell them what I really think. But what's the fruit of that? It's not a good situation. So we want to do lots of things. Um, I think about um, a passage in Luke here, Luke chapter 9. This is what um, Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must, are you ready for this? Must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, that's, that's, pretty clear that I don't get to do what I want to do. In some ways, is a very countercultural argument, but I deny myself the things I want to do, and I take up the cross in a sense of being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ on, on lots of areas in my life. So this is one area where we're challenged because our culture is really pushing us, and frankly, I got to be honest with you, the church has done a bad job of reinforcing to homosexual persons that they are loved, that they are made in the image of God, and that they are 100% welcome in, in the church. I mean, we have not done a good job. We've, we've done a lot of, in a sense, finger pointing and, and judging. And we are reaping the fruit of that right now with the pushback of the culture saying, you people are haters. Well, I, I think we need to, in a sense, confess our sin for how we have sometimes... I mean, I remember when I was in college, if we thought something was dumb, we would say, that's really gay. Okay, we just said that. But now I know I had friends who were near me who were struggling with the homosexual lifestyle. That was not a helpful thing for me to be saying. So, so we all have to confess. But confessing that we have treated someone badly does not then go with the pendulum swing so far as to say, whatever your issue is, you're allowed to do it with, without there being boundaries. Because God's, whenever in my life I've done what God has called me to do, I've been obedient to scripture, I have not been, um, I've not been sorry for that. And whenever I've said, you know what, I think I know better, I've been sorry about it. So uh, just touching on the tip of the iceberg, but I hope that helps. Does it say in the Bible that we are not supposed to drink any alcohol? Um, it doesn't say that. In fact, there are places in the Bible where, um, like, Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding reception so that everyone can have some good wine to drink. Um, they didn't have, you know, water filtration plants in Nazareth and <laughs> Jerusalem back then, so it was probably a lot harder to get good, safe drinking water. So really, wine was kind of the normal food or drink that people had with their meals. Um, we see Jesus sharing wine with his disciples at the Passover meal. 
Um, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for the, his stomach problems. Um, so alcohol... Jesus the, makes wine at the wedding of Cana. Did yeah, you say that? Yep, I did say that. Sorry. See, he is a little tired. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> what the Bible does say about alcohol is that we're not to be drunk, that losing the control of um, drinking too much um, will lead us uh, down the wrong path. So um, it doesn't say we sh that alcohol is completely off the table, but it does say we need to be careful and judicious. There's another um, passage in the New Testament that talks about not being a stumbling block to those around you. And um, for us, alcohol enters into that discussion, and that's the reason why Bill and I have chosen just to not drink much at all um, because there are so many people who wrestle with alcohol and it has done so much damage to people that we love and we don't want to be a part of encouraging that kind of um, damage to happen in anyone's life. So um, We'll drink champagne at your wedding though a little bit. That'll yeah, be nice. That'll be nice. Right. All right, um, yeah, one, okay, one, one um, can you discuss what tithe is uh, a proper amount? I think this might be like, I think what this person might be asking is, when you tithe, what do you tithe? Do you tithe the net of your income? Do you tithe the gross? Do you tithe on like, I mean, I've had some people say they tithe their Christmas presents. I mean, I, you know, there's a, there's a million ways you could, you could go on And does it have this. to be 10% maybe is part of the question? Yeah. Um, I think that um, tithe means 10%. So if you ask about tithe, you're asking about 10%. Uh, if you're at 2% right now and you're asking this question, hey, if you go to 3%, you're going you're gonna to recognize the blessing of God in that. If you, if you move forward, you'll see the, the blessing of God in that. Um, uh, I think that if I handed you a $100 bill and I said, hold on to it, or I handed you uh, uh, 10, one, 10, $10 bills and I told you to hang on to it until I needed it back, and then after a while I said, you know what, I'm just going to ask for 10 bucks back and you keep the 90 I mean, that'd be a pretty good deal, wouldn't it? Uh, and that's what God does for us. And I really believe uh, God asks us to do that because it uh, helps us be dependent on him. It helps us realize that it's all coming from him. Um, net, gross, it's, I think it's whatever you sense God calling you to do. Um, and in a sense, I think tithing is just a place to start. Um, there are some who give more than mm -hmm. a tithe and um, find that the Lord is, blesses them from that. And the Bible really, in the New Testament, doesn't give us a tithe as a requirement, but again, it's sort of a helpful um, goal to shoot for because money tends to um, be very controlling in our lives. So if we can free ourselves from that control by giving some back to God, and not just a little, but a chunk, enough that it feels like, oh, I feel that, I feel that every time I give that back to God. That helps our hearts go in the direction of God and, and helps us. Um, well, Jesus said, where your, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And he also affirmed tithing by saying to the Pharisees, you tithe, your spice, you tithe even down to your spices, and that's good. But 
And then he goes on and points out how they're being legalistic and they're not being loving. And that the, that is, you know, also important or perhaps even more important. But he, in that sentence, is affirming the, the, the tithe. We have some uh, resources that we've put on our website because we knew we wouldn't get to all these questions. Um, this is a great website to recommend to you, seedbed.com. It has videos. It has a whole series called Seven Minute Seminary that is um, seminary professors just giving a quick little bite on a really good biblical topic. Um, we posted a couple of those videos uh, on our website and um, Christians for Biblical Equality is another really helpful website that deals with um, the questions of what does the Bible really say about men and women and marriage and women in ministry from a really solid biblical perspective. That is a wealth of information at that website. Mere Christianity, again by C.S. Lewis, he's the one I mentioned before that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and the Great Divorce. This book deals with a lot of these questions. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, how does salvation really work? Um, it's kind of the basics of Christianity and just a really good, solid book. Where is God when it hurts is um, very readable, probably a little easier read than Mere Christianity and really deals with that question of, um, why, if God is good, do we see evil in the world? And how do we stay in love with God when we suffer and when we see suffering in the, excuse me, in the world? As we find more resources, we'll continue to put those up on our website. Um, and I know we didn't get to a lot of these questions. We love to talk theology. So if you have questions that you would like to get answered, give us a call and we'll go out for coffee and talk about your questions. Um, we would love to, to and, talk about things And this things is a great you. treasure trove for us. This information helps us know what you have questions about and it allows us to be thinking about our sermon series and that kind of thing. And so we're appreciative of that. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll take to heart these questions. Someone suggested to me this morning that we take a couple of the unanswered ones and, and write about them in the newsletter every month. So if you don't read the newsletter, now's your time to start reading it. <laughs> it's got a lot of good stuff in it, and pretty soon it'll have some of your questions in it as well. All right. I think we're out of time. We're definitely out of time. we got to run up to the sanctuary and do this one more time. But if you would stand, let's uh, send you out with a blessing. Sisters and brothers in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Go in God's peace. Amen.